This is the fourth sermon in the series. In the first three sermons, we looked at how work fits in the gospel storyline and how our work and our rest should conform to the image of God that we are created in. Today, we're going to move a little forward in the creation story and see how the fall of Adam and Eve disrupted and marred work and how here and now today, we can hope, we can cope with the toil and pain and hardship and disappointment and frustration that we all experience in our work so often. Ben was talking about his struggles just a little bit ago. We're still going to be staying in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 3. Verses 17 to 24 will come up for you on the screen. Allow me to read it out for us. And to Adam, God said, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and live forever. Therefore, verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and take the atoning work of Christ Jesus and apply it into our hearts and help us, Lord, to live and flourish and thrive through every toil we experience because of the brokenness of the world and because of our own sin. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me draw your attention to the last two verses of the passage. That we just read. Verse 23, verses 23 and 24. Verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden. He drove the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Have you ever wondered why, after sending Adam and Eve out of the garden, God placed the cherubim and the flaming sword to guard the way to the garden and the tree of life? Have you ever wondered why God placed the cherubim there to stop us from coming in? It's a simple answer, really. God did that because he knew we would try to sneak back 
you and I, every one of us, are constantly trying to sneak back into the garden of joy and beauty and God's intimate presence, which we lost when Adam and Eve sinned. Now, it's not that God doesn't want us back in the garden. On the contrary, we know how much God desires to have us back in the garden. He sent his beloved son, Jesus, to be punished in our place, to die in our place, and then to rise again from the dead so that through his resurrection, we can enter into the garden of his sweet presence once again. But God wants us back in the garden, righteous, perfect, sinless, and whole once again, which is why he gave us Jesus. But sadly, every one of us quite often reject the way of Christ and we sneak back into the garden. We try to sneak back into the garden on our own with all of our sins and imperfections. Let me, let me show you, show us how we, we do this. Think about it. When our work is going extremely well, when we are acing all the assignments, when we are killing it in the appraisal cycles, when, when all of our colleagues and team members just can't stop praising us, and we walk home with a 30%, 40% increment, even in the economic aftermath of the lockdown, doesn't it seem as if your world is perfect once again? When work is going extremely well, doesn't it seem as if we are back in the garden again? In moments when we are extraordinarily successful at work, don't we all easily forget that the world we live in and ourselves too are still broken? So flinging ourselves to work with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength is one way we try to sneak back into the Garden of Eden. Because when work is going well, it seems like paradise. And so the cherubim place to stop us from coming back in serves as a reminder of our own sinful inclinations to reject Christ and try and sneak back into the garden of God's presence on our own. You know, we often think that there's only one way to reject God. That is by rejecting him outright. We reject God by refusing to believe in him. We reject God by rejecting Jesus Christ, his son, the Messiah. He sent as a savior for all people, race, and regions. And this is easy to identify when someone's doing this. When we are doing it, it's easy to identify. But there is a second way in which we all reject God. This is more subtle. This is harder to detect detect. The second way we reject God is not by moving away from him, but by actually moving towards him, but in our own strength and effort. Not in Christ, but in our own strength. And so the second way we reject God is by trying to build a shadow salvation with fake saviors like work or sex or even family. 
and being successful in our work. And as Ben was talking, extreme success at work is perhaps one of the grandest shadow salvations we try to build for ourselves. Please don't hear me wrong and definitely don't tweet me wrong. Being successful at work is not wrong. It's a beautiful gift from God when our success is all about serving God and men and women, of course. But when our success at work is merely about selfish, our own selfish craving for glory, we are building a shadow salvation through our work. True, isn't it? I can say it's true for myself in the work that I now do. We all use work and the sense of value, worth, and significance we derive from our work as a route to sneak back in to the garden of bliss. And so as we live our life as followers of Jesus, there are two natures at war within us. One is our resurrected nature. The Bible calls this walking by the Spirit. The second nature is our fallen shadow nature. The Bible calls this walking by the flesh. And all I'm going to do in this sermon is to show us a few differences in the way our resurrected nature engages with work and the way our shadow nature engages with work. I'd like to show us three such differences. First, the first difference. Our resurrected nature eats from the tree of life, finds strength, and works in joy. Our shadow nature mistakes work for the tree of life and it tries to find life in work. The passage we're looking at today is an account of how God created the world. The first few chapters of the book of Genesis gives us the creation design, a blueprint that God conceived for us. We can see in Genesis chapter 2 that God created many trees in the Garden of Eden, including the tree of life. And when God put the first man and woman in the Garden of Eden, he gave them the joy of eating from the tree of life. So Adam and Eve were to eat of the tree of life, find strength, and then follow God's invitation to reign over earth as his steward by working the garden and taking care of it. We've been seeing that in the earlier sermons. Notice the sequence here. We are to eat of the tree of life, find strength, and then work the garden and take care of it. This is the correct sequence. But do you realize what we've all done? Because God forbid us, forbid us to eat of the tree of life after the fall, our shadow natures have turned our work into the tree of life. And so often, so many of us sadly try to
to find life in our work. We all not do that. Try to find life in our work. Think back uh, to your worst moments of the lockdown when you feared that you may lose your job. Did that fear not make you afraid of what's going to happen to your life itself? Did we all not sinfully believe that if we lose our job, our life is gone? It's going to be wasted. Uh, I, I remember a few years ago, I was working full-time with, with, with a newspaper. And uh, I still remember that, that I was living this life, trying to find life in my work. Uh, in those days when I uh, drive back home after a successful day at work, as, or as Ben would say, after an extremely successful day at work, uh, when I would drive back home, my car would cruise about six inches above the ground. I would barely note the, notice the traffic. And if someone cut into my side of the road, I would smile at him. And I would come back home with a spring in my step and a smile on my face and hug my wife as soon as I come back home. Those were, that was, those were the days when I would be extremely successful at work. When I had a bad day at work, and, and God knows I've had so many bad days, my drive home felt like I was driving a World War II tank through a swamp. If someone cut into my side of the road, I would chase him down the road with all guns firing. I would walk into my home grumpy, lie down in my bed, and brood. This is what happens when we find a life in our work. This is the curse of our shadow nature. This is not God's creation design. God's plan for us was to eat of the tree of life, find strength, and enjoy our work. But, you would ask me, we're still not back in the Garden of Eden. How are we now, after the fall, going to eat of the tree of life and then find strength and work? How do we eat? How do we eat of the tree of life? Oh, we have another tree of life. The tree on which our Savior Christ Jesus died, a cursed death. He was cursed on that tree so we could be blessed. The cross was the tree of Jesus' death. But because of his resurrection, it has now become our tree of life. So here and now, on the other side of the fall, we feast on Christ Jesus, our tree of life. We find strength and we work with joy. So tell me something. Do we feast on the tree of life every Sunday and every day and find life in Christ and go out into the week to enjoy our work as unto the Lord? Is that what we do? Or do we try to find life in our work through the week and come to church on Sunday to lick the wounds of our shadow nature? That's the first difference between how our resurrected nature and how our shadow nature engages with work. 
Here's the second difference that I'd like to share with us this morning. Our resurrected nature joyfully receives Christ as our righteous covering. Our fallen nature tries to hide our shame through success at work. I want to share a little bit of my own story in this. I had a difficult childhood. I grew up, as some of you might know, with a deep sense of rejection. I grew up with a deep sense of being unloved. And I I felt uh, my parents loved my younger sister a lot more than they loved me. Maybe it was true. Maybe it wasn't. But I distinctly remember feeling wretched through most of my childhood. Uh, My sister's fair-skinned. I'm not. And as a child, as much as I loved Rajnikanth, I wish my skin was fairer. My parents kept telling me that my sister was way better than me in, in everything. They would praise her when she sang. They would ask me to shut up when I tried to sing. My dad's a hockey player, and uh, he even made it to the Indian team briefly. And so I, I really, as a child, wanted to impress my father in sports. And I still remember one evening as a child when my dad and my sister, we were playing cricket. And my dad praised my sister's batting, and he made sure to let me know how lousy my batting was. I mean, can, can, you, can you imagine any deeper shame for an Indian boy to be, than to be told that his sister was batting better than him? I was pretty bad in my studies. Um, I was not very popular among my friends. Uh, I sucked at finding dates. I, I, I got caught shoplifting. I often stood outside class, punished for bad behavior. And my teachers, most of them, added to the crescendo of criticism from my parents. You are not good enough. That was a message I kept hearing again and again. I struggled my way through college, and by God's grace and providence, with no planning on my part, ended up with my first job in business journalism. And to my complete shock, my boss felt that the first story I wrote was good. He told me the second story that I wrote was good. And the third, and the fourth, and the fifth. And to my absolute delight, after 20 long years of living life as a failure, as an insignificant being, I found out that I was actually good at something. And so I flung myself at business journalism with all my heart. I gave it hours and hours and hours. I was consumed by my work. I was gripped by fierce ambition. For a long time, I thought I was an ambitious young man. But now, as I look back, I realize that I was just an ashamed Young man, my ambition was just a cover-up for my shame. It was not ambition that was driving me at work. It was my shame. Twenty years of mediocrity and failure and insignificance until business journalism covered all my shame. As I look back, I can see it was not ambition. 
my success in business journalism covered up a lifetime of shame. I had found my shadow salvation. I had found a fake savior in my flourishing career. Business journalism made me feel good, good about myself, not the blood of Christ Jesus that washed away all my sin. Like me, are you using your flourishing career to hide the shame of your sin and failure? Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When Adam and Eve sinned, they felt shame. We read from Genesis chapter 3. They sewed fig leaves to cover themselves up. After a lifetime of shame, business journalism was my fig leaf. And I held on to it for dear life. Working longer and longer and longer. Working harder and harder and harder. Afraid that if I fail in business journalism, my fig leaf is gone. I would be naked again. I would be ashamed again. As I look back, I can now see that I was just an ashamed young man masquerading as an ambitious young man. Are you like me too? Is your work your shadow salvation? Do you know what God did when he saw Adam and Eve dressed up trying to cover up their shame in those fig leaves? Look at verse 21 from, from the passage we read today. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Where did the garment of skin come from? Some, some animal, I guess. How do you take the skin off the animal? By sacrificing it, by tearing away its skin and leaving it naked. And so when God sacrificed an animal and, and, and left it naked to clothe Adam and Eve with garments of skin, it was a pointer to the coming sacrifice of Christ on the cross. I've said this before, every picture or every statue of Jesus that we see hanging on the cross will have a loincloth wrapped around his waist for decency's sake. But Christ was granted no decency in his death. John chapter 19, verses 23 to 24. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment, the undergarment, was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Some soldier won the lot. He disrobed Jesus of his undergarment, and Jesus 
was crucified naked. The Son of God, who was clothed in eternal glory, was stripped naked, ashamed, and sacrificed so that our shame before God could be covered up by His garment of righteousness. And so what fools we are to try and hide our shame through success at work when we can wear the righteousness of Christ. What fools we are to pursue a shadow salvation. What fools we are to allow our shadow nature to run behind fig leaves when we have, already have, the righteousness of Christ imputed unto us. Our resurrected nature joyfully receives Christ as our righteous covering. Our shadow nature tries to hide our shame through success at work. Again, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't work hard. We must be excellent in our work. And and excellence absolutely involves hard work. But all I'm saying is do not use hard work to earn your significance and cover up your shame. Only Jesus can cover our shame. Work is just a fig leaf. If that's what we are clinging on to, to cover our shame, we are forever going to be afraid that we're going to lose it one day and we're going to be exposed and ashamed all over again. The third and the last difference between our resurrected nature and our shadow nature, and this is also where I'd like to point us to to the real application in the sermon. When faced with toil and brokenness at work, our resurrected nature runs to Christ. Our shadow nature would rather just work harder. How do we respond to trouble or failure or disappointment at work? What's our initial response? What's our instinctive response? What's the autopilot mode we move into when we are facing trouble at work? I don't know if you realize this, but when we face challenges in our work, the professional never remains professional. Work becomes deeply personal. It affects our very being. When we struggle in our work, it never, never remains a mere skill problem. It becomes a soul problem. You see, if it's only a skill problem, the rest of our life can just go on, even as we try and bridge the skill gap. But no! Workplace problems so often become soul problems. It robs our peace. It sucks the joy out of our lives. It leaves us anxious, fearful, worried. We feel trapped. Do we run to Jesus at such times? Or do we just look at other things? Netflix, shopping, binge eating, drinking. Or like what I tend to do, do we just 
work harder. Here's a simple application I have for us. How can you talk to Christ Jesus in such moments of workplace difficulties? How can we train our soul to lean on Christ through such difficult times? Would you take a moment to map out your path right now? What is your path to Christ the next time you face trouble in the workplace? What is your path to Christ the next time you face a troubling or a difficult situation at workplace, at your workplace? Who are you going to talk to? Who are you going to pray with? What's the gospel playlist you can build on Spotify now to help you through such times? Is there a prayer that you can write now that you can go back to and pray during those troubled times? Are there go-to Bible passages that you can list, list down now for your later time of need? Have you tried fasting and praying during such difficult times. We better figure this out now. Because if we don't figure out our path to Christ when the next workplace situation comes up, we are inevitably going to end up binge-watching on Netflix or overeating or over-shopping or whatever is, is your sin pattern. We know this. We know that the moment any trouble hits our work, the shrill screams of our shadow nature are going to try and pull us back down into that downward spiral. How are you going to train yourself to live by the resurrected nature and not fall once again into the claws of your shadow nature? What is your path to Christ the next time you hit trouble at work. Let's spend a few minutes praying even now, asking the Holy Spirit to help every one of us map that out. Father, we come to you in repentance, acknowledging, Lord, that we have been feasting on work Imagining it to be the tree of life. We have been searching for life through our work. And like myself, I, I imagine, Lord, there are many who are trying to hide their shame through success at work. And we repent, Lord. We repent. We come running to you this morning. Asking you, help us, Lord. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that, that by your power, by your Holy Spirit, you would bring deliverance, Lord, into our midst this morning. For we need nothing short of deliverance. Nothing short of the deliverance of Christ Jesus to break years and years and years over which our sinful patterns have perpetrated.
years through which fear and shame and guilt and striving has been perpetrated in our lives, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus for deliverance. As you delivered, Lord Jesus, so many people who were demon-possessed, deliver us. Deliver us, Lord, from the demon of selfish work ambition. Not godly ambition which you've given us to us, given to us as a gift, but deliver us from selfish ambition, Lord. Deliver us from self-reliance. Deliver us from self-striving. Set us free, Lord, that we might feast on Christ, our tree of life. Find strength and enjoy our work to the glory of God and to the service of men. Help us, Lord. Even as we move into communion, we pray through the communion, through the song we're going to sing, minister to us and bring deliverance into every one of our lives. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.